sound of sensation across the nation. Listen to Radio Goodies. Boom. Welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Tom. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And this is looking at Scatty Safari, also known as The Existence of Rolf Harris and Pied Piper Goodies versus the Rolf Harris Plague. Can't say I've heard that one before, but no, that, that's more of a description than a title maybe, but that's okay. But, of course, it's now an on-screen title on the original release of video. Yes, it was. That is true. That is true. So we'll call it Scatty Safari because that's what they did. First aired on the 17th of March, 1975, a Monday at 9pm. So, gentlemen, Scatty Safari, generally regarded by Goodies fans as being a bit of a classic, if not a top five, certainly a top ten. It was uh, released on DVD in the US, which is very rare, and I believe it was also one of the first to be on VHS. So this has been around for a while. I guess I'll ask, does it live up to expectations? Rob? Very much so. If I'm thinking quintessential Goodies, I'm thinking Scatty Safari. Yes, absolutely. Richard? Yes, I know we're going to have a discussion about Rolf Harris probably a little later, but I really, really enjoyed this one. Certainly in the top five goodies episodes ever. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Well, I'm not going to bring that vibe down. I agree, this is this is a really funny episode. It's one I haven't watched for a while, kind of, because you, you're so familiar with it. It isn't one that I've pulled out that often, more often than a lot of ones, but watching it again for this, I just thought it was absolutely hilarious almost from start to finish almost without fail so lots of really positive things to talk about here it opens with the goody safari park which very quickly it's evident that it's a park of celebrities rather than of animals (laughs) now we've each sort of made various lists of which celebrities we have in here some of them i think are fairly familiar to modern day audiences Others less so. We do start off with them obviously taking a tour party through the park. Yes. Uh, and the first ones we see are Steptoe and Son. Yes. Uh, we then see Liberace, uh, yes. who's being pursued by David Frost, Russell Harty and Michael Parkinson. Yeah, I thought that was a very good game. Yeah. I think it's a pack. Yes, who, who are all chat show hosts, if you know yes. who Russell yeah. Harty was. We, we then get a shot of Dick Emery. We well known he had a lot of serious long-running sketch shows. He's in his Bover Boy character. It then goes on, we see Tommy Cooper... We then get Morecambe and Wise and Mike and Bernie Winters. Yeah, that Morecambe and Wise I've heard of, the others didn't register but for me. I, I don't quite get why they're fighting. I don't know whether there's a story behind that or on the ground wrestling. Um, Mike and Bernie Winters were, were another comedy duo. They were brothers and they had their own comedy series. So obviously someone who reasonably well known in Britain at the time. As I said, I don't quite get why they're on the ground wrestling with each other. We then, of course, get a great cheer when we see our group of Gumbies. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, were the Monty Python characters. Yes. Yes. We then see Brian Ricks, which is a gentleman coming out from behind the tree with his pants around his ankles. What was that all about with the pants? Yeah, that was another... Um, Is it a skit that he was famous for? Yeah, he he was an actor and performer. He was actually later Baron Ricks. He was made a life peer for charity work. He did a number of farces, and he quite often played characters that wound up with their... being caught with their trousers down. My word comedy has changed. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that. Of course, we then get Jimmy Savile swinging through on the vine. How's about that then? And that's that's Graham doing the voiceover. I think so, yes. Um, We get the team from Colditz. Yes. We then get Engelbert Humperdinck singing Please Release Me and Suffering from Dutch Engelbert Disease, (laughs) which is a play on Dutch Elm Disease. Yes. 
We then see another clip here. There's a clip of Marty Feldman. There was uh, Danny LaRue. Yes, as the peacock. Yes. Uh, we then meet a troop of minstrels. <laughs> yes. As they leap about over the top of the bus. They're doing more than just leaping, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> and then the tour ends as Mary Poppins sinks slowly into the sunset. Now, the, the clips, just quickly, of, of Dick Emery and Marty Feldman weren't actors portraying them on the ground. They were actually clips taken from their respective television shows. And they were cut from the VHS release, obviously, for rights issues, I would say. Oh, okay. They weren't on the version that I saw. So no, so that's the thing. That. And I know there are versions of that floating around which are obviously lifted from the VHS and they're not on there. Mm. So that's those. That's a very fun way to start an episode, isn't it? It is. There's a lot of, a lot of good visual jokes in there. Yes. And the audience clearly are really enjoying that part. They are. And, and it's funny, they don't even need to sort of set up the premise of it. Everybody, I think, just gets exactly what they're doing, that they're just treating celebrities as... Or something that you can put in the zoo and watch perform. Yeah, a safari park. A safari well, I mean, park, safari yeah. parks were a bit of a thing. I mean, we we're in Melbourne. Everyone remember Bullen's African Lion Safari? Down yeah. back as much. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We'd sort of drive around in your car and watch this tired old lion <laughs> sitting there in <laughs> various parts around the park. And this is also from an era where television personalities were very much household names. So there was really the reaction you were getting from the audience mm. is reaction from people that they feel very familiar with. Unlike today, I think, where television personalities, by and large, aren't household names. I suppose now, because, of course, you've got wall-to-wall television, you've got so many channels to choose from, so much programming to choose from, they're quite disposable mm. now, really. After the tour is finished, we then go back to behind the scenes at the safari yes, park. Yes, to, to the stables. Yes, where we then get more. We get Eartha Kitt, who was a US singer and actress, and she was Catwoman. She was in, the third Catwoman. Yeah, she was the third Catwoman. Oliver Reed. Uh, Raquel Welsh, they're going to go and rub Raquel Welsh down. <laughs> Graham has been busy mucking out Basil Brush. Yeah, that was very funny when he comes. Yeah, we get another Lionel Blair reference. Lionel Blair. Well, He's putting the horseshoes on Lionel yeah. Blair. And I found it interesting, right at that point, they did a fade out. Yes, because that's another cut. Yeah, that's the VHS. What happened in the real episode, they mentioned little Jimmy Osmond. Uh, and we hear, I'll be your long-haired lover from Liverpool. So again, rights issues, yeah. obviously. So they fade that out. And then, of course, their star attraction, Tony Blackburn. <laughs> who, again, and, and I know this has come up a few times, again, is somebody really, I would think, Australians probably really only know because the goodies made fun of him. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. But that whole sequence there is very funny. I love the mucking out Basil Brush line and just how, how stuffed Graham is up to do it. Never again. <laughs> but yeah, the whole Tony Blackburn stuff is really good. The way that Tim wants to look after him, he goes in with sort of the meat of the champagne. You would almost think he was human. <laughs> well, that's interesting, that whole sequence. They treat the... Celebrities as if they're actually animal exhibits. Yeah, that's yes, the thing, you yeah. know, he's lying there and he goes, I can't do it. It's almost as if he understands everything I'm saying to him. <laughs> I, I, I love Graham when he goes in to check him out and just comes out, a vet can't help him now. <laughs> and, and they all seem eager to shoot him. <laughs> oh, Phil, yeah, I'll have a go. <laughs> no. He trusts me. I'll do it. <laughs> I can't do it, yes. I'll have a go. <laughs> You can't keep him chained up. Magnificent beast like that. Yeah, the way Tim says that is just fantastic. It really just sticks with you, doesn't it? They load him in the box and push him off the top of the truck and then then to let him go. Actually, on that point, I was in the city yesterday driving through and there was a car next to me which had a box which had exactly the same font on the stencils on the side of that. Handle with care this way up. That's just too coincidental. (laughs) I I love the moment then when the real Tony Blackburn comes out of the box and they set him free 
to the strains of Black Beauty, <laughs> which of course was a very big television show mm. at that stage about that... a black stallion. But the, the, the shot of him just in the slow-mo, running, <laughs> running along, escaping, <laughs> Tim crying. Yeah. And then getting shot. And, yes. if, and, and if you actually go and check out the opening credits to the show Black Beauty, it actually does cut, you know, from... You know, watching him run so from side to side, watching him come down a mountain. It's almost a cut to cut <laughs> remake of the, of the thing. That's well, one of the strongest visual memories I have of the show of watching it in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, that uh, particular yeah, sequence. Yeah, uh, Tony Blackbird running and that free. And yeah. that is the real Tony Blackbird. It is the real Tony Blackbird. Yeah, so yeah it is. He obviously was happy to come and do it. We need to mention, of course, though, that Tony's freedom is short-lived. Yeah. Because, because he, he gets shot to a cheer from the audience. <laughs> um, there's one guy in particular, like most of the audience are, yeah, very funny. And there's one guy who does this bit of, yeah! <laughs> so he's, he's made his, his way on his He's obviously track. a hater. <laughs> he must have been the guy with the gun. Now for Jimmy Young. Yeah, well, of course, Jimmy Young, who was another quite well-known UK DJ. And then we go back where they need a new star attraction. Well, stuff Tony Blackburn. There's an idea. <laughs> but uh, Graham says, oh, well, uh, John Wayne, which is just they put a hat on Ronnie Corbin. Or <laughs> well, does uh, the walk. Yes. <laughs> also mentioned Mrs. Mills, who was, uh, she's mentioned in the Music Master. She was a, a UK pianist. We do get a Max Bygraves joke. Well, how would we get him? At the next Royal Variety Forums, <laughs> when he's dancing, then when everybody's asleep. <laughs> they say we tried that with Des O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, we fell asleep. Yeah. Bill wants to get Doris Newbold, who's obviously some sort of topless dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, she works for Pickford's because she's quite a mover. <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah. which is good because, you know, I think we're used to, all through the 70s and 80s, you know, our, our cast are moved by allied Pickford's, the careful movers. That's right. And they mentioned they're going to get an Australian. They want Frank Ifield. <laughs> Who is Frank Ifield? He was an Australian singer, but he had the hit with... I remember you you're the one who made my dreams come true. That's he, that's for, he, yo, he, he, was he, he went over to England. He was very popular over there, like the Seekers and oh, yeah. in, in the sixties. Did a movie too. I think. Yes, I think he did. By a bit of wordplay, we then finally arrive at Rolf Harris. Yes, via Anita Harris and Sooty. Now Anita Harris was a UK singer and an actress, and then we also have Richard Harris and Chopper Harris, who was a Chelsea footballer. Yes, and then we arrive at. Rolf Plaster of Harris. <laughs> I just, I, two sequences in the stables. Sometimes you find that the audience doesn't really get into what they're seeing in the sort of the live performance, but it's really, like both those sequences I find are really well written and the comedy flows nicely and the audience really enjoys it. Yeah, there's some really good stuff. I actually think those stable stuff is some of the best stuff in the episode. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they decide that they need to capture a Rolf Harris and where do they go to do that? Well, down under. Well, yeah, Earl's now, Court. Earl's Court. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess, after having watched them make fun of the Scots, the Welsh, etc., you can't really say anything about the Australianisms they trot out. <laughs> it's, if, if anything, it's actually very interesting to see what Australianisms they do try out. Yes. I mean, they, they make the Earl's Court joke, which is very relevant, particularly for the late But, but before that, where they're going to pack a couple of jumbucks in the oh, cooler oh, bar and put, put on a fresh pair of billabongs, or whatever it is. Australia? Here we come. The look that Bill Oddie gives Tim at the end of that little monologue is wonderful. Yes, it's as if the voice 
or the effect that Tim puts on his voice is that well, they didn't rehearse that, and then Bill was just reacting to it. Yeah, Bill was looking at where did that come from? <laughs> it's a really good look. Plus, you have to have the establishing shots of the kangaroos and the koalas so you know you're in Australia. Yeah, and, right. and, and the Sydney Harbour Bridge <laughs> in, in Australia's yeah. other city. Yes, yes, <laughs> very much. <laughs> the depiction of them coming out of the water, the Poms Outfitters. Yes, yes. going past the convicts. The yes. convicts with balls <laughs> and balls and tape. That was very funny. I really liked that. I really liked that idea of just convicts walking past. Apparently, uh, all women in Australia are named Germaine. Yeah, Germaine Greer. Yeah, is that where the three women that they encounter get beaten up by is, is from? Is that purely a Germaine Greer sort of thing? I think so. I think so. Because I couldn't work out where else that could have come from. Hmm. Unless Australian women are depicted as being bold and brassy, where English and, women and are, big and big, uh, big on those big uh, platform shoes. That yeah. Or men yeah. dressed up as women. Yes, as they yeah. were. <laughs> that was an interesting one. I didn't didn't quite get that one. It wasn't that I was offended. I just didn't no. quite get it. All the little stuff, stuff like um, you know, Australian culture, a wallabies mud wrestling. Yes. <laughs> and again, that sort of British idea of people in Australia with large outback hats and the Coopers with corks on them. Mm. Which I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen one. Oh, in tourist shops. Uh, no, tourist outside shop. of tourist shops, no, I've never seen. No, one. I was just going to say, I, I thought that it was. Bill was uncorking a bottle of beer, which, you know, I think it's... The Australian beer is different to yes. English, English beer, which is sort of warmer and yes. flatter, I think. Yes, yeah. um, I, think it, I think it's a bottle of wine. And it, but it is interesting because I, th I think that there's obviously a mindset there in England that Australia is a bit of a cultural desert. Whereas I think after the 60s, Australia had begun to open up more. There was more of an, a, a more cultured Australian well, identity. Plus, plus they'd started to export a lot of acting like Frank Ifield, as we yeah. discussed, and to go to the Easy Beats. And Seekers, etc. Yeah. <laughs> and people like Jermaine Greer were going over to Britain and yeah. writing, and Clive James was performing and all that sort of thing, and writing as well. Yeah. And, and also Barry Humphreys. I mean, mm. that, that whole generation of Australian both... And the adventures of Barry McKenzie. Yeah, well, yeah. yes. yes. And, uh, well, well, that's the thing. Barry McKenzie, I guess, really sums up that the height of that period of the, of the Australian comedians and intellectuals and whatnots all sort of leaving you know, for England. Yeah. And, and yes, the Bee Gees did start there, but they had their break here. Yes. And then, then, then went back. Going back to the wine comment, Graham and Bill had really low opinions of Australian wine at oh, really? that time. Tim, when he was out here, because he came out in the 80s and did some ads for somebody and they couldn't afford to pay him. They just gave him a case of wine, some really good Australian wine. He took it back to England and he thought, oh, this is absolutely fantastic. And he offered a glass to Graham and Bill and they, they taste it and they think, oh, this is a bit of all right. He goes, that's because you wouldn't do the Australian thing, so <laughs> <laughs> stuff you guys, this is what I got. <laughs> they then note that Rolf Harris has been spotted in the Outback. <laughs> with, with the sign. And, and, and go to the Outback and look... Okay, they didn't have a budget, but it is the least outback-like <laughs> yes. location you it's could ever possibly verdant, imagine. It's fertile. It's, it's green. It's cold. <laughs> it's damp. Overcut. No, it's not. <laughs> it's you know everything the red centre is not. No, that's right. But that's all right. We forgive it because I think the way the capturing sequence is filmed is really, really good. It actually reminds me of something out of you know, Jurassic Park. Mm. You know the way that the uh, the Rolf Harris is sort of. Bumping into yeah. the, the, the truck. Yeah. I love the joke of Graham getting off, running up to swap the arm yes. before he shoots him with the anesthetic. And then yeah. they actually shoot him in the backside. <laughs> plus, plus, he gets to do some physical comedy when they hit the tree and the koalas land yes. on him. They get attacked by the drop bears. Drop bears. <laughs> yeah, well, they're nasty things, those koalas. They can be. They can be, yes. So they capture Rolf Harris, they take him back to England, they 
put the temperature up to make it feel more like his natural habitat. Feed him a heap of fosters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, the yes. one cultural note, of course, is no Australian now be seen dead <laughs> drinking fosters. <laughs> we only use it for export. Is yeah. Yeah, they yeah, still yeah, make it, but it's, it's primarily still, for export. It's quite common over there, yeah. I don't drink beer, I won't go near it, so... No, me either. Okay. Now, <laughs> this is the point where the episode takes a bit of a funny turn, or a different turn, where they go and get the Russian Rolf Harris and decide to breed. Yes, because I suppose that they, they do make the point that there's only, what, six of them left in the world or something because the Australians hunted them to near extinction <laughs> yes. to make lavatory brushes out of their beards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they are successful in breeding the Rolf Harris and then have a special display, which, look, that, that whole sequence, I think, just makes fun of every time the zoo gets, you know, one of those new attractions yes. or a new baby. I can certainly remember from when I was a kid in um, the baby gorilla Missouri. Yeah. So that would be one example. I remember when the pandas were first came to Melbourne Zoo in 88. You know, and that was a big thing. Yeah. And, and, and it just was, you know, those shots of the school kids lining the fence of the exhibit. In actual fact, I think Missouri just recently died. Yes, he yes, did. he did, he actually. Did. He yes, did. he did. Moment, moment of silence for Missouri. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was quite sad. Because I do, I do remember it was a big deal when it he was on the nature of competition to name him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. that. But uh, Tim, of course, voiceover over the top of the old, like the old Pathé film. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> And don't the, the kids, kids love him. him. <laughs> Cute kids laughing at the fence. I love this entire sequence with the... Uh, Little Rolf. The, the Albert Wilkinson. Yes. Yes. Been, he was in Willy Wonka, apparently. He was as an Oompa Loompa. Yep. So he was an Oompa Loompa in, in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. He was a Jawa in Star Wars. <laughs> and he was, a, he was a goblin in various Harry Potters. He's also in um, South Africa as yes. the Prime Minister of the Little Ones. And he was also in an episode of Doctor Who. He was a little John in Robot of Sherwood. <laughs> now, that whole sequence is really well done. The, the little person snarling at Bill and Tim and dancing around, I thought. But the thing that got me the most was where he poured the tin of paint over his head and the camera comes in on his face and you can see his eye through, the, through his uh, glasses and you're just sort of going, what is he trying to convey with that emotion? Why are they making me do this for? <laughs> That's what I took away from that. Yeah, really funny. And, and again, I think... It's a sequence that everybody can relate to. We've all got memories, whichever country we're from, of events like that at the zoo. We then progress, obviously, Little Rolf is a smash hit and people are pouring through the turnstiles to come and see him. And Bill lets on that he's actually nailed Little Rolf to the inside of the, <laughs> the kennel. Inside of the kennel. So people have to pay to come back and see him next time. <laughs> we then get into the fact, how can we make more money out of him? We have the stickers, we have inflatable Little Rolf, we have the cuddly toy Rolf, and we have talking Rolf. Toby kangaroo down. <laughs> he falls off onto the ground. Yes, that's true. I mean, the head falls off and the audience just goes wild. Oh, the audience really enjoy that I, bit. I don't know. And then they make a mention of, uh, of, of this panda Chi-Chi. Yeah, well, that's the cuddly Rolf, yeah, where they have, and Tim says, that's just leftover Chi-Chi's. Yes, now, I actually did a little bit of research on Chi-Chi, and apparently Chi-Chi had died a few years beforehand, but was a hit at the London Zoo. Yes. For about, uh, well, Chi-Chi was about 20 or 30 when... She? He passed away? Might have been a he, actually. Chi-Chi's trek to Britain was quite extensive and roundabout. And anyway, Chi-Chi apparently is stuffed and mounted. If you're in London, you can go to the Natural History Museum and uh, you can actually Google this, and there's a photo of Chi-Chi looking very raggedy and sort of lost as a stuffed exhibit. I think I've actually seen that exhibit. Was it as uh, forlorn and sad as I saw on the photo? Not, not as much, but now I know the backstory. That's actually quite disturbing. <laughs> Now, the merchandise is interrupted by Graham bursting in, <laughs> unable, to, unable to speak, clearly this frosted. A, this is a great sequence. Yes. And he uh, uses 
charades to try and explain what's going on, leading to that wonderful bit, tie me, me. kangaroo, down, <laughs> tennis. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out that Rolf has escaped, or all the Rolfs have escaped. All Rolfs have escaped, or been let out. It's possible that one of the other exhibits was getting a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Yes, it was Des O'Connor. <laughs> now, at this point, they've made the comment that Rolf Harris's move like grease lightning and breed like grease lightning. <laughs> Cut to a year later. Yes, where, of course, all you can hear is just Rolf Harris in Wobble Water singing <laughs> all around the country. They make the link to the plague of grey squirrels. <laughs> At this point, the Queen, an anonymous Queen, asks who will rid her kingdom of the Rolf Harrises, so of course they decide to step up. Yes, and, and offers the hand of her eldest son in marriage, yes. and a thousand OBEs. <laughs> <laughs> now, at this point, they have a sketch that's, I guess, really the climax of the episode. And it's um, not just very funny, but it's also very clever, because they actually do almost word for word uh, excerpts from the Robert Browning Pied Piper yes. Carolyn sketch. The only, there's only a couple of variations in there. They obviously change rats to rolfs, mm. and they change mountainside to other side. <laughs> but apart from that, it's actually lifted word for word out of the branding pile. That, really, that, really was, a, that was a fun little sequence, yeah. I must admit, because you have the bit at the start where the rolfs are going through and they're making nests in the hats and they're eating the cheese and they're eating the sprats, <laughs> taking things out of the babies' carriages. Mm. I thought that was really, really clever. Yes, and then they pop out dressed as the Pied Piper of Hamelin pantomime style. Yeah. With uh, didgeridoos, and I liked, I can't remember which of the boys it was, was blowing on a didgeridoo, then decided to flip it around and was blowing from the other end. <laughs> <laughs> this is the right way out. <laughs> so, of course, in, in the Pied Piper legend, the Pied Piper takes all the rats through the mountainside into a magic portal... In this case, they take it to the other side, which is the ITV studios. Yes, or ATV, as it was in the original. Original. Yes, Mm. and they're never heard from again. (laughs) Except for one who was lame. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a really clever ending. I I thought it was very, very good. But the very final denouement is, of course, the anonymous queen has to make good. Oh, no promise. promise. So as well as seeing Graham and Bill with a thousand OBEs, you see Tim in a very clever shot marrying Prince Charles. And look, we'll talk about this extensively, but the way they film that, particularly with the cutback to Charles with just that cheeky little sort of grin yes. as, as, as he looks at Tim, that's really cleverly done. And the audience is absolutely thrilled by it, yeah. by the whole concept. I'd be interested to know where those bits of film came from, what Charles was involved with, and also the crowd reactions as mm. well, uh, whether it was particular events but yeah no that's very well done they've they've matched it off almost perfectly they have now unfortunately this was their second option because they did ask prince charles to be in this episode and he was inclined to say yes yeah i believe he was Uh, tim i think told the story he apparently did it and he was at a function where he was with prince charles and he was actually also there with one of the heads of the bbc so he made a point of actually asking charles in front of the head of the bbc so of course if charles said yes the bbc would have to agree to it <laughs> now that the story goes that yes he uh, apparently prince charles was quite keen to do it because the goodies was one of his favorite tv programs yes now i think obviously perhaps wiser heads prevailed that there seems to be a couple of versions of why it was refused i think one version tim told was that the wiser heads in the palace mm. said that probably wasn't really becoming yeah. uh, and i believe there was also a, a version of it where prince Charles said ultimately look he decided not to because he'd been approached apparently by Morecambe and wise and he'd said no to them so he couldn't really then turn around and do the goodies so oh yes you could <laughs> <laughs> I, I 
think what happened uh, a decade later with a bunch of second tier royals appearing in It's a Knockout yeah. <laughs> uh, proved how wise the palace was in refusing, if it was a refusal. Mm. Yes, look, you can see them doing something more like that these days, but not this particularly. I think faking their own wedding to Tim Brooke Taylor. To the man. No, yeah, I think, I think probably a bridge too far, maybe. But Yeah, but, but that's okay, because it's a very funny ending to it. And even just, you know, the, the pullback of Graham and Bill in the, the wedding morning costumes yes. with the heavenly medals. And don't forget, of course, that Prince Charles did appear famously on Countdown in Australia. Yes. One of the most famous <laughs> and awkward pieces of television you'll ever see. Not I hate to add because of Prince Charles. No. But because the slightly inebriated and scared witless host <laughs> didn't know what to do. Um, yes. All in the preparation, apparently. Yes. Uh, yes. So, look, an incredibly strong episode. I really like it. I think it's very funny. I think particularly some of the Australian stuff is very cleverly done. Like, y- y- yes, there's some stuff that's a bit odd, some stuff that's not quite accurate, like the Outback, but even just a lot of the little references, like where Bill has to go and um, calm the rocks down, so starts reading them Richie Benno's autobiography. <laughs> uh, pause again to remember Richie Benno. And back. <laughs> and yeah, just really good. Top. Yeah. I love, I love the touches. I love, and it's just really, really subtle, but the armbands on the safari mm-hmm. costumes is the Superman symbol, upside down. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, super safaris and all that sort of stuff. It was, you know, excellent stuff. I've always enjoyed this one. It was a great episode to watch as a kid because it's very visual. Yes. So, of course, you get a lot out of it when you're young. And I must be, we're watching it for this. It was great. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, even if you don't know who Frost and Parkinson are, that, that, that sort of joke about here are two celebrities hunting as a pack and you see them chase them down. As a kid, you still get the joke. Mm. But as an adult, you get the reference to who they were. Mm, absolutely. Right. Look, a lot of goodies can be guilty of being up and down sometimes during an episode's run, but I think that this is probably the most consistently funny episode in a really long time. If it's not as good as Superstar, it's definitely as good as Pirate Radio goodies for me. They're your two uh, They're my two, two touchdowns. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow, high praise indeed. Well, one note I did have just quickly before we go on to our regular segments. If you look in the scenes in the office, up behind Bill's beanbag on the wall, it's been written in chalk, it's given time. And it says number 37 and going up, which I'm guessing is obviously a reference to the chart position. And we do see that over the next few weeks. So obviously they keep trying to subliminally get you to buy it. Okay, on that note, we will move to our regular segments. So we'll start with firsts and tropes. Look, there's a Rolf Harris joke in this one, everyone. And indeed a Jimmy Savile joke. Yes. And the Black and White's Minstrels. Yes. Since they come back. Um, I think this is our first Max Bygraves joke. There's a reference to Radio 1, which I think they've done previously. Yes. Uh, once again, Bill uh, just loses it outside of you know, the bounds of the script uh, with Tim's uh, his, uh, accent. Yes. There, there is a, another reference to Enoch Powell, one of a few that gets across the series. Yes, where he, he's so concerned about <laughs> the plague of Rolf Harris as he moving to Jamaica. Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was very funny. And Tony Blackburn. And Tony but Yeah, look, most of these celebrities, I think, could count as tropes. So yes, exactly. Quite trope. trope heavy. It's interesting, actually, we didn't get any wearing in the park. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe they felt kindly towards him after he appeared in... Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, the trope of broadly satirising a particular culture or ethnic group is, is done once again. We've, that's true. They oh, had the Americans, they've had the French before, the Scots, the, the Welsh, Welsh, and now it's Australia. It's yep. our turn. That's yeah. only fair. We'll now move into what couldn't they get away with today, and we'll start with a subsection of that called the Rolf Harris talk. Let's just put this out there. We, we, we said at the start uh, privately that we would save all this conversation for one segment because we didn't want to spoil the, the episode by scattering it through. 
what, what, what I guess really needs to be said is, you know, Rolf Harris is now a convicted sex offender and yes. against juveniles, and you know we all condemn that. Do you think that the episode is still stands even in hindsight of that? Is, is or is that just a difficult bit in the background? Or, or I think what? it's st- I think it still stands because it's it's satirising Rolf Harris as he was back in nineteen seventy five, the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, look, you know what he did is uh, deplorable. Is deplorable. It's disgusting. I mean, we're not glossing over that, but. I was watching this and, you know, you're aware of the zeitgeist with regards to Ralph Harris now, but it didn't detract for me from my viewing experience. You're right. You still have in the back of your mind, obviously, yes, it's about Ralph Harris and and I guess also there's a Jimmy Savile joke in there. But, I mean, it didn't stop me enjoying the episode. And and I guess it really comes down to, obviously, there's talk about they'll be releasing full box sets of the goodies on DVD, which, of course, then leads to the question, do you then drop this episode out of the sequence because it's Rolf Harris. Well, then, do you do that for every other episode for any mention of a Jimmy Savile? Do you drop South Africa for the apartheid stance? Do, yeah, how do you... you know, know, where where, where do you draw the line? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you include the black and white minstrels? Yeah. You could never do them today, but they're a staple of the thing. No. And, and more broadly, I mean, in the entertainment industry, there are people who have contributed on both sides of the camera who have been convicted of particular offences. I mean, if you're, an, if you're a West Wing fan, you know that Aaron Sorkin, for instance, has struggled for a long time with illegal drug use. Do you, you know, get those DVDs and throw them in the, in the waste bin of history? No, of course you don't. You acknowledge that these people are human, have their foibles and their flaws uh, I, I, and their disgusting, uh, you know, natures. And it's the, it's the work on the screen that you should be most focused on. I suppose, though, there is a bit of a difference, isn't there, between, yeah, okay, I use illicit drugs... And I'm a convicted sex criminal. Yeah, but you could say that by you know I, someone like Aaron Sorkin uh, purchasing illicit drugs is supporting uh, an industry that exploits poorer ethnic it's, groupings. It's a where do you draw the line? Exactly. Again, the, the episode, whilst you can hate Rolf Harris and find his actions deplorable, and the same with uh, Jimmy Savile and whatever else happens, just wait a couple of years and we're going to get Hitler in there. Throw. They they're a farce. They're mocking. Yes. The person which takes on a completely different relevancy to idolising him or doing something, yes. you know, from it. And, you know, they didn't but use not only, it. Not, not only is it a satire, even, you know, you can take it compared to the Tony Blackburn appearance in this where clearly Tony Blackburn is in on the joke and having fun with them. Mm. This is not Rolf Harris. This is a guy in a costume playing Rolf Harris. That, that actually was my next point because this Rolf did go on record as saying he would have actually done it had they asked him. Would, would it made a difference had Rolf Harris himself been in it? Would that I, I make a difference? So. For so. me, no. Okay. No? Strongly no. If Network decides to drop this episode from their you know, um, release you know, this year or next year, I'll be disappointed because I think that'll be the wrong decision. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Mm. I'm not sure how I would feel, given your point, if it was the real Rolf Harris. Mm. But I think to sort of finalise that this little segment, I, I like to hark back to the anecdote of when the goodies were filming a little bit later and they did meet Rolf Harris in the lift at the BBC and... They, Rolf sort of, you know, stretched out his hand and said, oh, hi, I really like the show. And because they just, you know, thought their whole credibility would be ruined if they were nice to him, kind of just sort of nodded quietly and looked away. And he sort of said, oh... oh just I thought just, I'd mention it. Just thought I'd mention it. And I think now they're trying to look back and go, I think we're glad we held our ground. Yeah, well, I mean, he did go on record as saying initially, as I said, not only would he have done it, that he knew that was the point at which he'd arrived because the goodies had started making fun of it. Yeah. Because he was the focus of an episode. I, I think later on there are some anecdotes that he found it because that's all anyone ever wanted to talk about when they met him was, 
oh, that's all, you know, the goodies did an episode about you. And I was sort of like, shut up. Um, but, yeah. Are there any other things that you couldn't get away with here today? I don't want to go to Australia. It's full of abos. Yes. yes. And, yes, no one, you don't hear abos anymore, do you? No. no. Well, I mean, yet. if you go on a certain right-wing Facebook pages, I'm sure you <laughs> I'm sure you would. Or maybe the genuine outback, maybe. But... Yeah, but, yeah, no, that, that one, I'm just thinking, I mean, yeah. that was a culture back then, uh, and under, not understandable, it's not something I would ever use in real life, but it's such that was just such in your face i'd forgotten that bit mm. you know when all of a sudden that came out of bill's mouth and i'm like oh that's just going on the notes and the way actually bill says it it's he says it quite nastily doesn't he yeah from memory yeah. well it's obviously meant to be a bit disparaging you know i mean it's same like the ones i do the scottish stuff about um and the welsh i don't want to go there because they're all leak eaters but there's a different thing there though with would there be for them though or would it just no. depend on that word yeah that's another place another place that's culturally inferior yeah mm. either way you certainly wouldn't have it in the episode today oh no uh, there was of course another mention of the black and white minstrels and we'll have that discussion i i, I think probably not also the fact that they have the black and white minstrels i think the fact that they're actually uh, portrayed as a troop of monkeys yeah i think maybe adds an extra element to it perhaps yes uh, again i can see what they're going for with that because i've been to a couple of these parks in the uk where mm. you know one of the things is you go through the monkey enclosure and that that's what they do I think that having the black and white minstrels filling that role is, in hindsight, a very, very unfortunate coincidence. Yes. It probably would have been better if they'd just been in front of the bus dancing and singing, and if you can drop that particular noise effect, yes. you're in the clear, but no. And again, it, it, it's current sensibilities against what was oh, acceptable sure. back then. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was still being produced in 1970. Oh, yeah. So you, you probably... I think that they were really it, skating it, 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 even then. Well, we're going to actually touch on this in a lot more depth in a couple of Yes, we are. So we'll, 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 we'll leave that there. One final you couldn't get away with, the bit where Graham comes in and says he's knackered after mucking out Brazil brush was cut here, so it's another, you can't okay. say knackered clearly. We talked about the, the couple of cuts for uh, Dick Emery and Marty Feldman at the start, yep. and, and indeed little Jimmy Osmond, and that, that obviously would be for music rights. There is the final bit here on the VHS, they were all dropped for the VHS release, and the other thing on the VHS release was the Rolfs originally going to ATV, which is Associated Television, which and they, they make the joke earlier about selling them to Lou Grade, who was the head of ATV. Yep, which is um, what it was called in the 1970s. Yes, because they hadn't actually completely amalgamated at that point. Yep. The way ITV was done, if I can do this in 30 seconds, it was actually a true network of disparate television companies. At that point in the 1970s, so you had like Thames Television and you had, had ATV, Yorkshire Television, Tyne Tees, etc. And they all cooperated to an extent, but... They were all separate companies. But yes, for the VHS release, the ATV symbol was changed to an ITV symbol. Is that right? Um, yes, and you can actually see where they do the close-up on Jake the Ped, you can actually see the images moving where it's been superimposed over the top of the original one. Mm. Favourite gags, gentlemen? I'm just going to go for the whole Safari Park sequence at the beginning. I, and, and indeed the bit behind the scenes. I thought they were great. Yeah, that was really good. I'm going to plump for the release of Tony Blackburn and the Black Beauty montage. That is brilliantly <laughs> done. And the fact that Tony Blackburn is actually there himself, I think, adds to it. But yeah, big fan of that. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Dave. I think the Tony Blackburn segment is probably the standout for me. And Rob? Uh, well, I think it's the there's some lovely lines, uh, certainly about stuffing Tony Blackburn or whatever. But I, I think that the whole Baby Rolf uh, sequence <laughs> is... <laughs> Brilliant from beginning to end, especially the acting 
of the little person playing Baby Rolf. I think he really gets into it. And don't the kids love him? <laughs> <laughs> On that wonderful note, we've had a lot to discuss, but I think we've had a lot of fun doing it. And we'll be back next week with another one that is a, a slightly legendary, if not iconic episode, which is Kung Fu Capers. And whilst you put on your white pyjamas, why don't you take a walk in the Black Forest? You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Work, work, work. Why do you always have to moan? I'm working too, you know. You don't hear me complaining. You don't hear Graham complaining. Yeah, well, that's because he's not here. Well, if he was here, you wouldn't hear him complaining. I'm knackered. <laughs> what, uh, what have you been doing then? Mucking out Basil Brush. <laughs> never again, never again.